Right, so we're continuing with our series looking at four characteristics that we as individuals and as a church uh, should be moving into. And so just a, a quick reminder, if you like, who can tell me in order what they are? Genuine is number one. Thankful is number two. Generous is number three. And courageous is number four. Brilliant. Excellent. So you may recall that last week Mark talked about being thankful. And so this week we are doing being generous. Brilliant. Great. So yes, so this is a series we're we're repeating um, over the year. Uh, using different characters from the Bible to uh, enable us to see what uh, you know the, these characteristics look like, because we believe that uh, when we start to uh, start having these characteristics in our lives, that we are becoming more like Jesus. We are more effective in sharing Jesus with others and demonstrating His love. And also, again, as a church as well. We want to be a church that is known as being genuine, thankful, generous, and courageous. Now, I believe up until, up until now, uh, we've only looked at Bible characters. So, uh, you know, last week we looked at, was it Mary? The week before, or when um, Nathan preached, he preached on Peter. And, uh, but this time, instead of having one character to deal with, I've got a, a region of churches, uh, the Macedonians. So I don't know whether that's harder or whether that's easier. But we're going to read a passage uh, in 2 Corinthians in a minute. So if you want to maybe find in your Bible 2 Corinthians chapter 8. When I first found out that this was the, the topic I was doing, or the the churches I was looking at, I, I was, it took me a little while to work out the best passage, that we, where, how to best deal with this. I was looking through, where are the Macedonians? Who are the Macedonians? And uh, in a minute, I'm going to show us a map of the Mediterranean so we can see where the Macedonians were. But first, let's read our passage of Scripture. So we're going to read... 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through to verse 15. Now, just a very quick background. Obviously, it's 2 Corinthians, so this was Paul addressing the Corinthian church. And he says this, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. 
But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, it can be a comfort to us, it can be a challenge to us, it can bring a transformation to us. But all these things only happen as we allow your Holy Spirit to outwork these things in us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you uh, speak to our hearts, help us to hear from you clearly. I pray that uh, anything that is of me will be left behind and just people will hear what you have for them this morning, Lord. Amen. So I think it's always good to look at the background and so the history here, we've heard about a gift. Um, The Jerusalem church has undergone persecution. They've been dispersed by that persecution, spread out across the land. The gospel has gone with them. But those who have remained behind in Jerusalem and the surrounding region have been affected by a severe famine. And so Paul, as he's gone around, has been mentioning this to the churches that he's establishing. Um, And they have been, yes, we want to help. We want to give of what we've got to supply the needs of the Jerusalem church. And it says in our passage here that a year ago, that is not a year from now, obviously, that's a year before the letter was written, the Corinthians had started on that, that, uh, that do- uh, putting a donation together. But then they, difficulties had arisen in their church. They'd had problems, things that needed to be sorted out. Uh, the, that donation had, come to, had stopped and... So the, these two uh, letters that Paul had written, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he'd addressed to the Corinthian church to, to deal with these issues. And now coming, to the, coming into, or, you know, into the latter part of the second letter, Paul's saying, right, now we, we've been looking at these things, we've been dealing with them, let's relook at the, this gift, uh, this donation for the Jerusalem church. And so that's kind of where... The chapter 8 is. 
So, I'm going to start with a little bit of technology. Now, like technology, um, at home it works perfectly, and you stick it up, on a, up here on the stage, and suddenly it just goes, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. But hopefully, I just, what I wanted to do, just give you a quick uh, idea of the churches we're talking about here. Now, at the moment, I'm showing you a, a map of the Mediterranean Sea in the New Testament world. Now, what I want to try and do is try to focus in so that uh, those of you at the back can see clearly where some of these churches are. So we're going to try and look no, at Jerusalem. Oop. Right, so we've moved down to Jerusalem, which was the bottom uh, right corner. And now, I want to try and show you the journey across the Mediterranean Sea up to the region of Macedonia, and I hope no one gets seasick. We're still going up, we're going... Yeah, I'm on. There we go. Right, so we've gone up across through Asia, and this was actually the uh, second missionary journey that Paul took. So he went up through... Uh, Asia there, and he, then he crossed over. I don't, you may recall in the book of Acts, it describes how Paul was at Troas, and he had a, a dream during the night that a, a, a man from Macedonia appeared to him and said, come over and help us. And so the next day they crossed over what is the Aegean Sea here to Neapolis and into the region of Macedonia. And the main churches that the, uh, the book of Acts tells us about that he established were firstly Philippi, so we get the, the letter to the Philippians, uh, also Thessalonica, and so we get the, the, again the letters to the Thessalonians, and also he established a church in Berea. So these are the main Macedonian churches that we know of. I'm, I'm guessing that he may well have established either directly or through other disciples, other churches in Macedonia. But then he then continued down towards Athens, and then he ended up at Corinth, which hence we have the book, the letters to the Corinthians. Right, that fairly worked okay. So... Our passage contains a challenge to the Corinthians. It's a, it's a little bit of a, a, an interesting one in, in that there was past history between the, the Macedonians and the Corinthians. And the, Corinth, uh, the Macedonians were known as the barbaric north. They, they had a, a significant long-standing competitiveness and history between them. And uh, so Paul is kind of using that here and say, well, look at these guys. You, you know them. You know, you've had competition with them in the past. Look what they've achieved. When I lived back in Cornwall uh, in a town called Hale, I remember growing up, and although I, don't, I didn't know the reason for it, I knew that there was uh, a competition between us and the local town, St. Ives, uh, that especially came out in rugby matches between Hale and St. Ives. My dad uh, played rugby at that time. And even um, at secondary school, we, 
were a group of five schools in the Penwith area, but it was always the uh, St. Ives match that we wanted, had to win. You know, that was the, the real competition there. Um, you know, it, it kind of egged us on a bit, gave us a bit more energy, that encouragement. We've got to beat them. Now, I don't know why that was there, but, you know, you buy into it. It's like, yeah, we've got to beat them. It's a bit like, you know, that we sometimes hear about the local football derbies as well, isn't it? Where, where uh, Liverpool or Everton or Man United, Man City or whatever, you know, the, this is the key match. We've got to beat them if we don't beat anybody else type thing. I, I was wondering as a church, maybe if uh, Guy or Malcolm came in and started comparing us or challenging us over how maybe uh, Jubilee Church Farnham or the Vine Church Odium we're doing in certain areas how it might challenge us as well or egg us on, stir us up. But certainly this is what Paul is doing. He's uh, challenging the Corinthians by uh, comparing them, in a sense, with those they've had long-standing competition with. Okay, so we're talking about being generous. And I think it's good to... Consider what do we mean by being generous? Does, uh, if you like, godly generosity, is it the same as worldly generosity? A dictionary definition uh, says this. Showing a readiness to give more of something, especially money, than is strictly necessary or expected. Now, having read this through and, and, and considered this, actually I thought, well, that's probably a good biblical interpretation as well. But what might be the difference? If I was to say to you that a, uh, a local billionaire had just given a million pounds to the local children's charity, you'd think, wow, that's brilliant, that's really generous. But if I was then to say to you that in, his, uh, in the depths of his office, he'd been discussing with his, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of his managers, and they'd been saying to him, well, look, if you want people on your side for building the factory over there, then why don't you give you know, this money to this charity over here? And so... In a sense that instead of being a generous giving, there would be a, there's a sense of grudging in that because you're trying to sway other people. Let's compare that to uh, God's view. Because you see, God sees the motives. He sees what's in our heart. There's no in the office. There's no in the boardroom sneaking around or anything. In Deuteronomy 15, uh, verse 10, God says this, Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. God looks at our heart, not just of the outward appearance. And also in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. So God looks at our hearts when it comes to generosity. But also, who else looks at our hearts? We do. 
And so I think only we, apart from God, see what's in our heart. We need to examine our hearts when we're giving. Am I giving you know, in, with a true generosity? It, it, is my, what is my desire? What, it, what is the reasons behind it? So I want to uh, now move on to our passage of Scripture here, and I'm going to work through a few verses. I'm not going to work through them all, but uh, we're going to start with verses 1 and 2. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So we start here with that challenge. But also, I would argue that there's an encouragement as well in this. Firstly, I would say it's due to God's grace we read that here, it is God's grace that even in severe trials and extreme poverty, there can be overflowing joy and rich generosity. In, you might have noticed, it took me a while to pick this out, but there's two, two sets of opposites here. There's severe trials but overflowing joy, and there's extreme poverty, but rich generosity. So, why have I said that this is an encouragement as well as a challenge? It's because we have God's grace. We can receive God's grace so that even through the difficult times, we can be generous and we can be joyful as well in it. This isn't something we do in a worldly sense. This is something we need to rely on God to be able to do. We're going to move on now to verses 3 to 5. And in these verses, I see three steps to godly generosity. Now, just to confuse you, I'm going to work through them backwards because I think that it works better. It's, it's clear in this. So we're going to start with verse 5. And it says this, step one, they gave themselves first to the Lord. First thing they did, they gave themselves to the Lord. Now, I would argue that one of the greatest Barriers to generosity is worry and concern over our own needs. If I give, will I have enough left for myself? Will God replace it? What about my needs? This can be a real challenge. We see a need in someone and think, well... If I meet that need, then I'll have a need. I want you to think back to the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about worry. He's talking about needs. He's talking about how God supplies for the birds and for the plants. And in 
Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33, he says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you, given to you as well. So I want to say that the first step of being generous is seeking God, seeking his kingdom, seeking his ways, putting our trust in him, acknowledging that he supplies all our needs. As we press in to him, being led by his spirit, not worrying about our own needs, knowing he will supply them, we will start to see his heart for others and will reflect his generosity to them. Okay, moving on then to step two, and this is from verses three and four. It says this, Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. So there was no external pressure. Paul didn't have to come and say, look, Macedonian churches, the church in Jerusalem is really struggling. I think you should step up to the plate and give what you've got. They instead said, actually, we can see the need and we want to meet that need. We want to be involved in giving. For those of you who know uh, me, and when I preach, I try and bring in at least one Greek word, and here it comes. It is the word koinonia, and here it is translated as sharing. So uh, in verse 4, they, ple- they urgently pleaded with us for the pri- privilege of sharing in this service. But it, it means, as you probably have guessed, it means a lot more than just sharing. In fact, it can mean partnership, participation, communion, fellowship, that which we have in common or have a share in. So, you know, we, we lose so much in that one word in our Bible. But, and yet, when it was spoken in the, in the Greek, they would have got so much more out of it. But it suggests uh, an implicit in this close close union is a responsibility to care for those in need in the family of God. For the Macedonian uh, churches, family didn't mean only close relatives or even the local church. It meant all members of Christ's church. Their willingness to help the Jerusalem church was no different to how they would help a member of their own family. How might we, what might be an example of that for us? Um, for those of you 
who either have children or have had children. Um, you might remember times when you've had to work through maybe homework with your children. And you know you've got stacks of other things to do, but you give of the time that you really haven't got. You're, you're giving to them because you, you, you love them. And in here we're looking at the, the Macedonian church. You know, they, they saw the Jerusalem church as their family, their children, if you like. They wanted to, to give, they wanted to be involved, they wanted to meet their needs. Step three then, this is in verse three. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, does this mean then we should always be giving beyond what we have? That's a challenge, isn't it? Is that what Paul meant? I don't think so. You're going, phew. But what does he mean? I believe that the principle here is that real generosity is not held back by a lack of means. I'll say that again. Real generosity is not held back by a lack of means. So it's not an excuse. Well, I don't have enough. I don't have the time. I can't do that. I don't have it. That should not be your excuse. Our excuse for real generosity. Having taken ownership of the Jerusalem church need, the Macedonian church was not going to let anything get in their way, in the way of helping to meet that need, even a lack in their own situation. Again, thinking as a parent, you know, how many times do we continually give of ourselves even maybe we're not feeling well and yet we're still stepping up to give to our children we might not have the energy but we're still willing to give so now moving on to verse 7 and Paul is now particularly uh Encouraging or addressing the Corinthians. He's now not talking about the Macedonians, but talking directly to the Corinthians. We read this, verse 7. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul is here adding, giving, if you like, or reminding the Corinthian church of the expected attributes of individuals and of of the church. It is a clear call to Christians that they should seek to be generous. We often talk about being transformed into the likeness of Christ, to becoming more like Jesus, so that when we are out in the world, we are a, a reflection of him. We're, we're kind of, uh, we are 
revealing Christ to other people. And these uh, attributes that Paul is talking through, these are all things that Jesus demonstrated while on earth. And they're all things, including generosity or grace of giving, as Paul puts it here. These are all things we should be seeking after, seeing them increase in our own lives and in the lives of the church, in the life of this church. The challenge carries on in verse 12. He wants them to finish what they had started and gives more advice on this. Verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Again, this is going back to the attitude of our hearts. God is pleased with those who give with a willingness. He discerns what we have and looks at our heart. You may recall, again, um, in the life of Jesus, he's sitting in the temple with his disciples opposite the, uh, the place where the, the giving uh, area was. And there's a poor widow who Jesus singles out in Mark 12, 41 to 44. I just want to read that. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Again, this goes back to the whole idea of a willingness to give to God, a heart attitude to give and be willing to give beyond what you've got. I don't think Jesus was saying about the rich people, they were, you know, they're just not giving enough if they're giving it all away. Jesus was looking at the heart here. He was comparing the heart of the widow with the heart of the rich people. That she had given with a desire, a generosity. They had given maybe what they just felt they ought. Her means did not prevent her, gen- her generosity. So finally, we come to verses 13 to 15 in our passage, which says this. Our desire is not that others might be be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have 
too little. Paul is referring here to a passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 16, verses 16 and 18. And now, so we've gone back looking at the Israelites. They're traveling through the desert, the wilderness. They've escaped from Egypt, but they haven't got to the promised land. And they are complaining that they've not got any food, that they're starving. And God has said, That's, I'm going to supply your needs. And so, during the night, a dew comes up, and then as it dries out, there are some thin flakes, like frost on the ground. And they're saying, well, what is it? And Moses replied, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And verse 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. And uh, I, I guess it's interesting. As you look at this, you wonder, well, why, why does it seem they... Some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. You can imagine the, the, the younger folk dashing around, you know, have this bit, have this bit, bunging it in their baskets, and maybe the old folk with their sticks creaking along, well, I'll get this bit and this bit. But at the end, it's all shared out, as it were, it's measured out, and they all have exactly what they need. And Paul is saying here that actually, relying on God, he will provide what we need. You know, I, I can imagine there was a bit, there could well have been some of this sharing around. So the younger folk, right, we pull it in, right, so you've got a bit more of mine, and etc. But actually, the principle here, Paul is putting, is that it doesn't matter how generous we are, if, you know, we, we give and give, but God will supply our needs. We will have what we need. It may be that someone else then gives to us. You know, it but it's down to God to do it. In the, the, the wilderness, it was miraculous. God provided miraculously for them. But it may be that it's through someone giving a gift to you. So Paul is here reassuring, reassuring the Corinthians that his purpose is not to bankrupt them at the expense of the Jerusalem church. He wasn't going, well, my friends back there, you know, the ones I've been... Christians with for ages, they need it. I'm not so worried about you. That's not his purpose here. But what he is saying is that since God has blessed them, that is the Corinthians, they can then bless others. And if the situation is then reversed, they will be blessed. God will meet all of our needs. So the key point here, though, is a call to trust God to provide our needs. So we are not hindered in being generous. Trust God for our needs so we are not hindered in being generous. Okay, so very quick recap. Generosity is from a gift of grace. 
Some may abound in this with a special anointing, but all should expect and seek after some measure of this gift. Our priority should be to seek God and to not worry about our own needs. We should be willing to take ownership of other people's needs, not through external pressure, but a genuine desire to help others. We should not let anything hold us back from being generous, not even a lack of means. We are called to excel in the grace of giving. It should be an increasing part of our character. We should give willingly, not grudgingly. Remember, God looks at our heart. It is God who meets all our needs, so hold on to things lightly, lightly, watching to see where we can be generous to others. i just close in prayer. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you do supply all our needs. I thank you that you lavish us with all of your, your amazing grace. Lord, that just one, one part of that is a, a grace of giving. And Lord, I just pray that out of this would... Come a challenge to me, Lord, to be, uh, to be a genuine giver, to give generously from my heart. Lord, I pray that for, for the, this, all these people here, for, for us as a church, that we would be known for our generosity, our helping of others, our supplying of the needs of others, and help us to just... Trust you completely to supply all our needs. Amen.